everybody. This is Dr. Diana Wiley, my friend, Dr. Lori Buckley. She's been my friend and colleague for almost 20 years, and she's my guest again. She's been on this program many times over the years. Love, lust, and laughter. Welcome, Dr. Lori. You and I are going what? to explore love after loss. Welcome. Yes, among other things. Yes, thank you for having me, Dr. Diana. Always happy to be here. Well, I'm always happy to have you as my guest. I mean, I was just saying to you uh, off the air that we do have great conversations on the air and off the air. Um, and you moved to Napa over a year ago. How long was it? Um, maybe. It was a little over a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Anyway. My husband, Brian, and I visited you in your new place in Napa, uh, and in 19 days, that was uh, in July of last year, and in 19 days, we're coming again because you're getting remarried. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! Yes. Yes. I know. It's very exciting. And actually, our life paths have some parallels. And I'd like to mention, yes, yes, some parallels. We are both sex therapists, and we both narrated sex ed videos for the Sinclair Institute, including Great Sex for a Lifetime, Volume 1 and 2. We both have <laughs> books. Um, mine is Love in the Time of Corona, and yours is 21 Decisions for 21. Great Sex. Yeah, you tell. Um I love it. No, you knew it. 21 decisions for great sex and a happy relationship. I'm impressed. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and then, so, and I'm just going to talk about how our paths are similar and then we're going to come back and maybe break these down a little bit uh, in terms of the, of the content for this podcast. We've both been divorced and widowed and well, I remarried uh, two and a half years ago, a little more than that now. Um, and you, as I said at the top of the show, you're going to be married in 19 days in your new place, Napa. And, um, you know, I think we both know this, that divorce is like a death because it's a death of hopes and expectations, but it's not quite the same as an actual death. But in both cases, we know that life is uncertain. So we're going to come back to that too. And we both yes. have moved. You moved out of Los Angeles area. So mm -hmm. did I. I moved, uh, oh, 12, 14 years ago now, my goodness, to Seattle. You moved to Napa. And one of the reasons for, there were many reasons for our respective moves, but one of them, uh, at least for me, and I think possibly it entered into your um, equation for moving, and that is to find a more simpatico male dating pool. Was that was definitely that a variable? Yeah. Okay. And what's so interesting about moving is I just read this statistic and I thought I would share it with you. Half of all Americans live within 50 miles of what? Their birthplace. Half of wow. all Americans live within 50 miles of their birthplace. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, that is interesting. And um, boy, sometimes it's good to shake things up and you even develop some new um, new brain connections because you're happy. You have new challenges. Uh, so, so true. In the in the pre-interview, Lori and I talked about how do we move forward? So we're going to look at that a lot. But do you want to weigh in on um how our life paths are parallel. I mean, the sex therapists give us a lot to talk about when we're together, um, <laughs> both both discussing it, you know, professionally, but then we weigh in personally. So, and we have our books. So you want to just mention that a little bit from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think just personality-wise even, we're so alike. And I, I think, you know, you have people who become psychologists and sex therapists, right there, there's going to be a lot of commonalities, right? There's, yeah, there's right. not there, that many, there's not that many women who make those decisions. So that was the first part. But I, I do feel that there was a connection right away with us and a lot of, a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities in the way we think. I think we're both 
incredibly optimistic and positive and, you know, what we would call people who enjoy life. Uh, so mm-hmm. in that sense, we connect for sure. And, and with the moving, you know, again, you moved a lot longer ago than I did. You were ahead of, ahead of the curve. That's for sure. But yeah, it's, it's certainly about changing the environment. LA, I grew up in LA and I love Southern California, especially Pasadena. I lived many years and I still miss it, but you know, I needed a change and something about moving to a completely different location. It's you, you meet different men, but you also meet different friends, different women. It's a different lifestyle. It's, it's just a totally different environment. And both of us have some city life in Napa and in Seattle, but there's also a lot more nature, a lot more beauty. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, at least here, I don't know what the people are like in, in Seattle, but for sure the people here are very different. I mean, of course, they're very much into food and wine, as you would imagine, in wine country. But there's just a, a I don't know, sort of a sense of joy and relaxation and just um, taking it easy. It's a slower pace, I guess, if I could say it that way. It just makes so much sense when you think about what what the environment is. So the environment can change a lifestyle and personalities who are attracted to it. And when I decided to move to Napa, I was definitely longing for nature and a calmer, more relaxed lifestyle and people who were into nature and wine and food and it's, and cooking. And it's been everything that I imagined it was going to be and more. And again, you know, dating was a very different situation and the men were different here. I found than in LA because again, it attracts a certain type of person. And yeah, I found someone who we are very much alike and connected in so many ways that I don't think I would have found in LA or at least the odds would be much smaller. So lots of benefits to making one decision and it's a big one, right? To move, to change your home, your, your, for me, just city, and for you, it was state. Uh, but, you know, making those changes have a lot of, I'm going to say, positive and negative kind of consequences, but they do open up different possibilities. And that's what I was looking for, and I believe you were looking for, too. I really was, and it took me uh, two years uh, on Match.com here in Seattle before I met my now husband, uh, in, I, I met him the first time in 2010. So, um, but what I, what I found is that, um, yeah, that the, the love of nature, uh, is very true in Seattle and in Napa, but you know, the biggest thing I had a big complaint about, I, I was widowed and, and in 2000, and then I went to Los Angeles in from Honolulu in um, 2003, and I was there until 2008. So, mm-hmm. but honestly, there were so many narcissistic men, and I realized in hindsight that really some good advice for people that are are, are dating, no matter if they live in Los Angeles. <laughs> You might get a few more of the narcissists in Los Angeles, but or wherever. But beware of the man who doesn't ask any questions about you on the first date, um, because these guys are probably very narcissistic. You know, me, me, me. But it can't be all about him when it comes to relationships. And besides, he may hold the odd idea that I'll find someone who makes me happy. And since we know, Lori, that happiness is an inside job so the relationship fails so if your date is always talking about himself you may be watching him talk about the only person who interests him himself (laughs) so (laughs) so yeah they're very difficult to be in that yeah 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 so go on uh and you found such a good guy i can hardly wait to meet him uh, and that'll be in nine, less than 19 days, but looking forward to that. So, um, but, so the move has been, has been very positive for you. And, um, 
you said in our pre pre-interview, how do we move forward? So let's talk about that. Um, how do we move forward? I, I would I want to just start by saying, you know, we've both been widowed. And th so the death is a is a big thing. And uh, Joan Price, who's a award winning naked at our age uh, author talking out loud about senior sex, she wrote a wonderful book called Sex After Grief. And so she her questions are very important and I want to share them and, I, and then you and I can weave weave uh, we can talk about them. Um, yeah. How do how do we be how do we become capable of sex and intimacy when the person we want most to share this with is dead? Now, I would I would add on or maybe uh, divorced from you. Uh, yeah. How do we feel? How do we find our way to letting someone else in? How do we know when we're ready? Is there a one big question? Way? Yeah, is yeah. there one way that works for everyone? Of course, that's the easy answer to the last question is, of course, no, because we all right. experience grief, whether it's grief after divorce or grief after a death, we all experience grief in um, in our own way, and uh, and and of course that myriad uh, in it includes how we invite sex into our lives or don't. And how and do we how we change along the way? Anyway, so what do you think about grief and sex and some of those questions that can help you with your moving forward? I mean, again, it's a good question and a big question. And and like you said, death is is one form of it, like literal death. But you know, relationships die, right? So the relationship yeah. might be dead. Maybe it's divorce or a breakup and it's still loss. And how do we move forward after loss? So death, like you said, it's different. Um, I don't know. Some people say divorce might be more difficult because the person's still around, you know, or a breakup yes. or yes. With, with death, there's no options. Um, That's right. But the grief is, you know, the grief is deep. It's just clearly deep. And I think it is really to trust yourself and not to, well, fear is understandable. I mean, of course, you want to open up your heart after you've been heartbroken. That's a very difficult thing to do. So feeling fear or feeling pain or uncertainty is certainly, I'm going to say, understandable and natural. But we don't want to live there for too long. We don't want to get stuck there. So it's mm -hmm. trusting ourselves and moving at a pace that feels right for us. You know, so we're like, oh, you know, you should just get over it already and move on with your life and find someone. And while that might work for some people to do that quickly, for some, they need more time. I mean, for me, it took me years. So I mean, it took me five years. So it took me quite some time. Actually, if I, it might even be six years. So it was, it was, you know, a time. It was a long period of time. I tried dating here and there. That's another thing about dating. I think there are people who will go all for it. They'll go all in and they'll look at the websites or the, the apps every single day and they'll swipe and they'll date on a regular basis. And for some people that really works. I had a friend who did that. She's like, she was on a mission. She was just going to go out on as many dates as she could. Uh, for me, I do it a little bit differently. I like to put my toe in the water for a little bit. You know, maybe I'll go on a couple of dates. And then if that doesn't work out, I need some time. I need some time to kind of recuperate and, and just spend some time with my friends and some time alone until I felt ready again to do it. And then I would do it a little bit. And then, when you know, that didn't work out, kind of take some time again away, just sort of like go about it in a pace that felt really good for me. And I will say that when you do it right, when you know what you're looking for, you know what you want in a partner, it becomes more efficient and it becomes, I'm going to say, just really uh, more effective, right? You have more success when you know exactly what you're looking for. But again, you know, sometimes the apps don't show it. And even like what you were saying with the narcissists and the men who are just interested in themselves, sometimes, you know, in the first date, men are nervous, just like women yes. can get nervous. And if they get nervous and they're trying so hard to impress you, that might be what's going on. It may They may not be a narcissist, although there's a certain feeling you can get. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes they're just 
really trying way too hard to impress you and they're going about it in the wrong way because they're trying to be interesting instead of being interested. So I'd say, well, kind of how does it feel? Did they ask you any questions? Did they, did they seem to be into you at all or were they just all about themselves, not necessarily nervous, just someone who you just didn't get a good feeling with? And you really have to pay attention to your gut. And I think it's the same thing with when are you ready to proceed with sex? When are you ready to open up your heart or your body? And I always say, don't open up your heart or your body to somebody who you don't feel safe with or who hasn't earned that place, you know? Um, But again, it's such a a difficult thing because everybody has their own way of doing it. But do it your way rather than thinking, oh, I should do this or I'm supposed to do this or everybody's telling me I should be doing this um, or it's been too long. It's just trust yourself. It's okay to be afraid. Don't let that stop you if what you want is to be in a relationship. And for me, while I was open to being in a relationship, I was also really happy being single. And I knew that while I wanted to be in a loving relationship, it would have to be someone who I knew made my life better than it was being alone. And I really worked on creating a life alone or being single to be really fulfilling and satisfying. I do think that's an important piece of it as well. What do you think? It's a very important piece because you will come across then, because it's the truth, that you are a a single woman who uh, is happy in her skin, happy in her work, happy in everything. Uh, I mean, maybe looking for love, but but you can be on your own if, if need be. And that most of us really do want love. We don't want to grow old alone. But you also don't want to settle. And uh, so I think that's important. I wanted to, let's, let's stay with the sex piece, because this is a fear that many, especially okay. we're, we're focusing in this conversation a little bit on perhaps women over 50. Let's just say that. And men, and men, love after loss. Mm-hmm. But of course, a lot of the advice applies to all ages. But one very common fear is that he or she will want, it's usually a he, but sex right away. And um, and the reality really is that plenty of people don't mind waiting. And someone who is right for you will respect your boundaries. I think a lot of women need to hear that. And yes. And if, if you are interested in someone, but this person is getting more physical than you are comfortable with, express your feelings frankly. And I would say it's better to do that in a positive, non-judgmental way. And I have a couple of examples. I'm attracted to you, but geez, I just want to slow this down. Or the woman might say, I don't have sex with someone this soon. So for now, why don't we just kiss and cuddle? So um, Mm. I think those are ways that you can be open and frank and not dismissive, but saying what you want and need. I like that. Those are really good examples. And and you you said it. If somebody isn't going to respect those boundaries and they're demanding that you have sex with them right away, well, then, you know, next. It's, that's not the person for you. Yeah. You want somebody who's going to honor you and your boundaries. And for me, I move very slowly and I let that be known. It's like it takes me some time to feel comfortable and warm up to somebody. I will also tell you that when you know, and I'm not judging. People may just decide they want to have sex right away. And if that works, great. But I do feel that the odds are in your favor. When you feel more comfortable with somebody and know them and they know you, that sex is going to be better. It's going to be a more satisfying and pleasurable experience. Again, this is a generalization that may not always yeah. be true. For me, it is. And again, we have to know ourselves, right? For mm-hmm. me, if I feel comfortable with somebody and I know them and I feel safe with them, sex is going to be much different and I would say better than if, you know, you just meet someone and hook up with them right away. So I, I think it has more staying power. But again, you know, all situations can be different. It it just really, it's again, following your gut, trusting your gut and doing what feels right for you. But it is honoring your boundaries and not doing something because you feel pressured or obligated or from fear, like, oh, I'm going to lose this person if I don't have sex with them. You don't want to go down that path. 
absolutely not. You use the word safe. The woman needs to feel safe with a man. That's really, really important because when, so inside of our brains is the amygdala and this is the fear center of the brain. And if the woman has had trauma in her, especially sexual trauma in her past, uh, she, her amygdala or, or excessive depression or anxiety, her amygdala gets over, overwired. And so she, uh, especially if there was trauma or sexual abuse, so she needs to feel safe. The amygdala has to take a nap for a woman to even to reach orgasm. The, she has to feel right. very safe with a man and be able to let go, let go, let go, let go. And to do that, she has to know the man and know herself and feel safe that he's going to respect her boundaries and listen to her and all of that. Isn't, hasn't that been your experience too with your clients? Yes, I agree a hundred percent. And like you said, I, I think the part here also is with, even without, you know, trauma, although I think we all have some, some trauma, you know, especially if we're talking about women over 50, I mean, let's face it, you know, it'd be really yeah. difficult to, to get to that age or this age and not have some trauma. Uh, but even without it, you know, if, and again, this is a way that we think, and I, I think, you know, probably most people who are, we'll say sex therapists are trained in sexuality, know that to really experience great sex, I'm not saying good sex, I'm saying great sex, it is about surrendering and letting go and being out of your head and in the experience and in your body. And you can't really do that. I'm going to say it's not 100%. Maybe there's some people to do who can do that. But for the most part, women aren't going to be able to do that without feeling connected or safe. And I'm going to even say a lot of men. You know, we both work yes. with a lot of men who are in their head. They're worried about, you know, quote unquote performance. And so they, yeah. they feel and experience anxiety. And so when a man can also feel comfortable and accepted and not be in his head that way, that also is going to, of course, influence the quality of the sexual experience. So I don't think you can go wrong getting to know someone and taking your time unless, you know, you're afraid they're going to leave you. And again, well, that's probably the best thing to find out now that this is somebody who isn't going to honor those boundaries or be willing to wait for something that's important. You 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 say it very well, and um, there are also there's another thing that gets in the way of a lot of men. Uh, in my experience working here in Seattle, I uh, I have men who work for Amazon and um, Microsoft, and a lot of them are software engineers, and they're in their heads a lot and it's very hard for it, it's some women too, but it tends to be, I mean, you and I are both speaking about generalities a little bit, but cause, cause there are, there's often elements of truth in the generalities, right? So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So getting out of your head and into your body and staying focused and breathing and being in the moment. Oh my goodness. This is so hard for some people. Um, because they're used to being logical and analytical and figuring out the software problem and, you know, our feelings and our sexuality require different thought processes, like surrendering, <laughs> right? Exactly. And, and you know what? Men need to feel safe too, I guess is yes. what we're saying. Yeah. Yes. And of course, there are men who have had sexual trauma and abuse, and it's even more shameful for these men, because uh, sometimes it was a homosexual man or someone they trusted, like a uh, a coach or, God forbid, a priest. Um, but so these these men, they have more shame because maybe I invited it and I turn out I'm heterosexual, but maybe there's a part of me that's homosexual. I mean, we're digressing a little bit, but it, it warrants a digression because we can't we men often have these fears too and it's hard for them to to really be present um and it's not talked about that often it's no it isn't and i wonder why that is i i, I know the answer but why do you think it is 
I think, like you said, there's more shame. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be like trauma for as a child um, with a same-sex partner. It could also be shamed from a re- past relationship. You know, maybe they were shamed about maybe their performance. They didn't get erect um, quickly enough or hard enough or they came too quickly or their penis wasn't the right size. Or, you know, men get that those kind of messages all the time from partners who don't realize what they're doing, uh, but there's shame involved there. And when we have past experiences of shame, especially when it comes to sex, it can go deep and really impact our future, our future relationships and our sexual experiences. Very, very true. All right. So we, you and I do this a lot. We uh, digress into sex (laughs) because it's it's what we know and it's fun our favorite topic yes our favorite (laughs) topic but we (laughs) let's um so let's move back to love after loss can can you talk a little bit more about your personal experience um you know you you already have how you'd have to date and then take a break i guess gather up your wherewithals uh what what were some of the stumbling blocks for you as you before you found you're the man you're about to marry? <laughs> yes, Harry. Harry. His name is Harry. Yeah, I, um, I was gonna. I didn't know if yeah. you wanted to say his name, but I mean, he must be a prince. <laughs> There's Prince. Harry. He's yeah. I <laughs> yeah. I feel it's a lame joke. <laughs> Well, now Harry, the name Harry is a little cooler, thanks to Prince Harry and, and yeah. Harry Styles. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely feel incredibly lucky. And and to be honest, when I decided, you know, I was going to date, while again I was open to finding a lifelong partner, that was, of course, a desire. But it wasn't necessarily what I was focusing on when I was dating. When I was looking for someone that I wanted to go out with, I would think, okay, I want to find someone that maybe to just be able to have fun with, maybe yes. just to be able to go out with. Uh, who knows, maybe a future sexual relationship. But I wasn't necessarily focused on, oh, I have to find someone that I want to marry or spend my life with. I actually right. wasn't thinking about that at all. Mm-hmm. But when I... And, and I do think that makes it easier because if I would have been focused on, oh, I have to find the perfect man or the man that I want to marry, I don't know if I would have been able to move forward. So, again, I think it's sort of like small steps. Like, what is it that you need to be able to get out there and open yourself up to possibilities? And I do feel that that's an easier, more gentler way to approach it. And, um, you know, the stumbling blocks, of course, I mean, let's be real comparison, like, oh, am I ever going to to find you know anybody as great as as Alan or am I going to be able to love anyone the way that I loved him uh you know so comparison is it's a tricky thing because you don't really want to do that but it is something that just happens and I think to be mindful of that so somebody even asked me when I told them that I had I found this new love of my life and I was planning on spending the rest of my life with him and we're getting married you know he said so do you love him more than you loved Alan I'm like well of course not it's not about you know how much you love it's not about more or less but it is different and it's a very different relationship and in some ways you know I have things with Harry that I didn't have with Alan and I have some things with Alan that I don't have with Harry but it's not about better or worse it's just is this does this person fit in my life and can this relationship feel right for me moving forward? And, you know, had I met him 10 years ago, I don't know if I would have, if I would have felt that way, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the comparison piece, but I think recognizing the things that we do that might stop us from moving forward. And I do think comparison is one of those things or a big one, which, you know, it's pretty obvious, but I'm going to state it. Here it is, fear. Um, am I going to have to go through loss again? You know, we're older. He's yes. older. And and trust me, that's when it, it still comes up every now and again. It pops into my head. It's like, oh, no, what if he dies? And, you know, I even say it out loud. So I'm like, I'm afraid you're going to die. And we were like, you know what? We None of us know. None of us know when we're going to die. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow in the world with our health, with anything. And 
it's okay to experience that fear, but to recognize it and not let it control your life is important. And to live every moment and every day as fully as possible, because it's true. None of us do know how much time we have. And I think when you've experienced loss, especially death, it is at the forefront of your mind. Life is precious. And if you find someone that loves you, that you love, to cherish that person, cherish the time together and the relationship. And in that sense, I think fear can be, I think, an asset in some ways. Mm-hmm. You're- I think those are it. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, fear, yeah. comparison, um, uncertainty. Uh, but, you know, I always say it's okay to experience fear. Just don't don't let it stop you from doing the things that are most important. Are your dreams and your desires, are they bigger than your fears? And if they are, you know, take a leap. Take a leap of faith and go for it because it's worth it. Oh, and that's beautifully, beautifully described. Um, And, you know, people, these fears include a, a fear let's break it down a little bit more that first dates will be awkward. And the, the, the reality is that they can be awkward, but they can also be interesting and fun. And I, you know, your girlfriend who was going on as many dates as she could, she must be a fairly confident woman, but she probably also had some fun. Um, but I, I want to make a suggestion to people uh, who might fear this, that first dates might be awkward. Um, you know, meeting for coffee is a classic kind of a low key first date. But I think that uh, sometimes more active options, um, for instance, my my son just got married first time and his his now wife is just a beautiful woman. And they're both runners and they met uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. July 2020. And mm. they ran together. That w- They're both runners. So they ran together for their first date. But you don't have to be a runner to do that. You could visit a museum or take a walk downtown. Uh, and because it, it can be true that standing or walking side by side can be a little less awkward than sitting face to face. And and yeah. then also your surroundings will provide co- uh, conversational uh, clues. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I think talking about mutual interests and asking lighthearted questions, this would be your first date. And I I think you can even think about the questions that you might ask, not that you're going to hold up a little cue card and read it, but I'm going to give some examples so you can ask. Uh, these are kind of fun questions. What was your favorite toy when you were growing up? What would you love to do if there were no constraints? What would you love to do if there were no constraints? What's the yeah. best advice anyone ever gave you? If your house were good, on these fire, are good. That's a good one. The best advice. Yeah. And if your house were on fire, what's the first thing you would grab to save? So uh, these yeah. questions can allow you to, to go deep. And if you're with a narcissistic guy, of course, he won't allow it, <laughs> possibly. But these are like, lighthearted questions to get to know somebody. And if they're going to talk about their exes and it's all negative, that's a red flag right there. But what do you think about um, some of those first dates and those fears that they'll be awkward and those kinds of in, in, in and lighthearted questions that you've been asked? Yes, all good stuff. I'm going to say, first of all, yep, it might be awkward. Mm-hmm. And do it anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah. it's a little awkward. You know, that's okay. And, you know, speaking of, so I'm a dating coach also, and I think about, like, what makes a successful journey. And one of the things, again, we don't necessarily want to waste our time. So my friend who she was very confident and is very confident, uh, you know, in, in doing it the way she did it. She had a lot of great funny stories to tell. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she was not very discerning, and she did it in a completely different way. But I do believe that you are going to have a much more successful and enjoyable journey dating if you know not just what you're red flags are, but what your green flags are, or in other words, what are the qualities that are absolutely necessary for you to be able to spend time with somebody or be in a relationship with them? What are those qualities that you, that you really need? 
and or want, but need are especially important. And what are the red flags? What are the deal breakers? If it's somebody, if you want to have a child, for example, because if we're in the over 50 crowd, probably not, but just as a, or you want a dog or you have dogs and somebody hates animals or they don't have pets, that's probably going to be a deal breaker. Knowing the the deal breakers or the red flags and knowing the absolute needs and the things that are most important to you are a great way to start so you have good questions to ask that'll give you answers relatively quickly. And you can do that. You can do that on the app. I would say to limit the, you know, the writing, the texting part of it as limited to as short as possible. You want to kind of see if somebody being responsive, what is it like, but right away, if it's a profile you like, maybe you're getting um, some response or something that feels good enough to move forward, schedule a Zoom call, schedule a phone call before you actually meet. And that's a great way to kind of rule out some dates that you don't have to waste your time and have those questions. Know those questions that are aligned with your red flags or your deal breakers and the things, the qualities that are most important to you. And then if there's enough there, it's not going to necessarily be perfect. It still might be awkward. But if there's enough there that there's no deal breakers and you're thinking, oh, there's enough here that I want to see this person. I want to get to know them a little better. Then you do that date. And I love the example of doing something that, you know, that you both enjoy. It's a common interest and doing something active, the side by side. We know that men, at least, you know, a lot of men, again, we're generalizing again, do communicate easier. When you think about the sort of the stereotype, you know, men sitting at bar stools or in front of a TV, they just communicate more naturally, easier for the most part. So there's something about being active or doing something that I think will be a great way to get to know somebody. Um, Harry and I, we went wine tasting. So (laughs) we're both into wine. We're both very much into wine and food and cooking and all of that. And so it was a perfect first date for us to, to sit and drink wine together and talk about it, you know, in the middle of the you know, the vineyards and, and just the beauty of the beauty of Napa. So uh, it's really finding that thing that you can both share and enjoy. And even if it's not a match, it could still be a good time. Exactly. And I also recommend that single people give it three dates. You know, I, I, I hear from female clients, well, I don't feel any chemistry. And but then I remind them chemistry doesn't last well it does for some people if they really work at it but um but attraction is important and if someone meets your needs you may find the attraction follows if someone meets your needs and doesn't set off any alarms with the deal breakers you've talked about deal breakers if there's something that you truly can't tolerate like smoking for instance okay I mean, that, that you need to, of course, that's often on a dating app. Um, and, um, but, um, if they're telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. If they're telling the truth, but most people right. focus on wants, you know, I want somebody hot. I want somebody funny. And then I think you're more likely to find the right one when you focus on needs and your needs might be communication, mutual respect. Um, yeah. Somebody I can laugh. Well, that's, that's maybe, maybe a need isn't for laughter, but I, I really, don't you think really the laughter? I thing, think so. Couples uh, who yes. laugh together, last together for sure. I think so. I'm a big believer, you know, if everything's so serious and heavy, like there has to be some, some lightness and playfulness and fun. And, you know, it took me a while to, really, you know, to choose Harry. I mean, I, I, there was enough there. He was intelligent. He was kind. You know, I was attracted to him. There were, again, a lot of commonalities, but I didn't feel chemistry or as like my friend says, you feel Gaga. I'm like, no, I don't really feel Gaga. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it took me some time, but then the more time we spent together, the more I think comfortable we both felt and the more ourselves we started to be. And the more I saw and just how I felt with him. And I do believe that people are attracted to people who they feel good with. It's not just the quality. It's not just, oh, you know, the financial security or the attractiveness or the things we sort of think about or the intelligence. It's also how do you feel when you're with that person? And, you know, feeling 
loved, feeling respected. Like those are things that, you know, comfortable or safe, like we talked about. Those are things that are really, really important as you get older. I don't think they're as important. We don't think of them as much when we're younger. But, you know, somebody who we, we really can trust and, and feel good, feel good when we're with them, feel confident, feel loved, and therefore be able to love fully. Those are the qualities that make, I think, a really thriving, lifelong, satisfying relationship. You say it perfectly. <laughs> and it does help. <laughs> it does help to be an older woman with some life experience under your belt. Uh, and you, you're more likely to know what you want and what you need and what are the deal breakers. And you just have perspective. But the perspective is so useful. But... You know, you you still you want to ultimately for your relationship to have passion and purpose. You know, you want to keep as we get older, we need to have purpose. And so, having somebody who's who's uh, intellectually stimulating to you, or at least has has and listens well, all of those things are important. Um, are yeah. you? stimulated enough but you know you don't want to have such a long list that you eliminate people before you maybe give them a chance you know um giving it three dates is one reason i already talked about that but giving it three dates can be a useful thing and um and you know i think that i i also hear from from some of my single women that oh i don't want to i don't want to go online they're just it's you lose your privacy. There are a lot of losers out there, and they're afraid of meeting so many losers. Um, and the, I think the reality is that, oh, perhaps more than any other factor, your attitude has the biggest impact on your satisfaction with dating and your ability to meet comp com compatible people. You know, we, we yes. popular media reinforce negative stereotypes, let's face it. Mm -hmm. uh, they they often portray single men as inept or self-centered and single women as confusing or impossible to please. Uh, but, you know, these are often are just caricatures. And I think the truth is that many men are capable and loving and many women are straightforward and agreeable. But it's it's important if you're afraid of losers, it's important when you're out on a first date to assess the person's character. You want to pay attention to the person's actions as well as the words, you know, look for, um, I don't know, evidence of kindness and respect, integrity, emotional generosity. I love emotional generosity, don't you? And uh, that's a great, yes, I love that. And responsibility. And then we could take it a step further as the relationship grows. You want emotional foreplay too, but, um, but there are examples. <laughs> there are examples of a person's character that you can pick up pretty pretty quickly, even on the first the first date. Um, you know, if you pay attention, you're going to find out who he is on the first date. Yep. And you know, but some other examples: Does he show up when he agreed to show up, or kept you waiting, or may had a lot of excuses mm -hmm. for being late? And, That's a good one. Yeah. I remember one very narcissistic man that I had a first date with, didn't have any more, but he did not treat the staff at the cafe well. He had all these complaints and he was just, he he was very upset with this and all phone away during dates. And yes, that's full a attention, good one. Full attention, you want your full attention. And um, yeah. And then another example uh, of, of you know, somebody being not a loser, but being more and figuring out the character is when the subject of past relationships comes up, does he dwell on his ex's negative traits, negative traits? Mm -hmm. Without right? any accountability or responsibility. Without any accountability, yeah. right. That's right. Yep. 
I mean, those are all like things that you probably would see right away. You know, are they mm-hmm. late? Are they on their phone? How are they treating people? How do they describe like what, yeah, what happened with your past relationships? Tell me your relationship history. You can find out so, so much. And, you know, one of the things you're talking about, like the attitude, it's, it's so, I mean, it's everything, right? So if you go in there with, you know, on a date or even thinking about dating, even on an app thinking, oh, they're all a bunch of losers or I'm too old or too fat or too whatever or not enough, whatever, um, or they aren't going to be or I'm never going to find in that negative headspace, those are your core beliefs, whether they're conscious or not, guess what? You're probably not even going to do it. You're probably not even going to, you know, follow through. And even if you do, you're going to be looking for all those things and expecting all those things. It's not going to be a good experience. So really checking what are your core beliefs and what is your attitude and how can you perhaps, if needed, shift it and and create something new? Like, you know what? I'm going to be open to whatever happens. There's possibilities. Yes, there are men out there or women out there who I'm not going to be interested, probably a lot more than you will be. But there's also really great people out there. And knowing that the possibility exists and looking for, again, those things, not just the deal breakers, but also the qualities that are important, those are the things that are going to make the difference of if you get a second date, right? Or if you find someone that you're interested in for potential future dating or relationships, the attitude, like you were saying, so important. It's it, yeah, the attitude that you bring to it, and the openness, and the, the curiosity that you know. If if somebody is felt, if somebody feels that you're really listening to them, and and you ask these kinds of questions that that indicate your curiosity and your compassion. I think it'll go a long ways. Um, and and he may not be the, the, the man of your dreams, uh, you know, the first date, so you think. But he could be a keeper if you give him a chance, going back to my uh, suggestion that you give it at least three dates. Which I think is such a great suggestion, unless there's deal breakers. Absolutely. Yeah. And the chemistry can develop, you know, that instant chemistry isn't always a good thing. You know, yes. it feels nice, but not always a good thing. Sometimes, especially if you have a history of, we'll just say not so great relationships, it might be a red flag all by itself. So it's not, it's not the determinant, the, the determining factor. If this is the right person for you, if there's chemistry, it feels great, but you can develop and create chemistry. And so that's really important too. You know, one thing also, since we're talking about love after loss and, you know, again, loss can happen in many forms, but especially when there's, you know, when there's been a death, oftentimes, although not always, uh, people have experienced great relationships. And when you have someone, yourself or someone who you're dating, who has actually experienced a good relationship, like they know that that exists, uh, it, it makes it. Well, I'm just going to say it makes it easier to to navigate the dating pool and, and, and the dating experiences. If you've never been in a really loving or satisfying relationship, that makes it very difficult to believe that it's even possible. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it's um, and and it might be useful for that person to get some therapy and sort out some of that. Uh, you and I are both both biased toward people getting therapy because, but it can, it can make such a difference. It can make such a difference to, to figure out, to go through your past traumas or past experiences and to figure out what it was like for you and how it formed your thinking. And do you notice patterns in your life? Um, patterns that don't work for you. Um, and yeah, and, and then if, if we're in a good relationship in the past, we have these, well, I have a good relationship now, and I know you have with Harry too, with my Brian, but those mirror neurons. So the longer you're together, the mirror neurons in your brains, you become a little more like that person in some ways because of those mirror neurons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And look, I've had my share of, of, we'll just say, bad or failed relationships, um, like many, again, if we're over 50, well, you, you know, probably have. And mm-hmm. you can learn from those. That yeah, can be right. a wonderful thing. It's like, yeah, what did you learn? And if you haven't had the relationship that you would like to have ever or, you, or that you dream of, do you know people who do? And that can be really good too. You know, couples who you want to emulate or or couples who you think, yes, this is what I, this is what I'm looking for. Knowing it's possible, even if it's with other people is really important because if you don't believe it's possible and you think all relationships fail or all relationships, you know, sex becomes non-existent or horrible after a certain amount of time, like these beliefs that we have, they do tend to become reality if we, if we don't explore that further, if we don't check our beliefs and create some new ones that might be more life enhancing as opposed to limiting. Here, absolutely. <laughs> really, that is so true. And it is possible. It is possible to, to look at your uh, core beliefs, some of your beliefs and realize the ones that don't work for you anymore. And as you go through uh, your, as you think about your relationship, it's so important to to look at it and see what you learned, how you improved, if you did improve, if you did not improve, you take accountability for it. But one reason that we have a perhaps a better chance of having a lasting, uh, purposeful, passionate marriage when we're older is that we're more confident we know more what we want and need we can be much more giving and also we know how life is uncertain how 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 it can just change in a second um Mm -hmm. i've i've shared on this program before and i think with you as a guest some time ago that charlie my late husband uh died in front of me in an exercise class at a spa that was shattering. That was absolutely uh. um, uh, so. It was so unexpected because he didn't. Ha- we didn't know he had heart disease, and he was only fifty-seven. So it was really, really shocking. But I, uh, I grieved well, and I realized because it, it was a good. It was a good marriage, and to realize that that we had said it all and did it all. We did it all. We said it all because we really cared about each other and we were so open and honest. So that gave me confidence to go on and, and date for date people that would, that where I could learn and improve too. And, and then finally find somebody that I really clicked with. Wow. Then you know it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, difficult times or efforts to be made or things to work through. I think there's always going to be that. And, you know, sometimes when you're older, you can be set in your ways, too. And, you know, it's adjusting to to somebody else's stuff or living with somebody. And that can be a challenge (laughs) I'm going through right now. But if you have somebody who's like, yes, we're going to figure this out and we're going to do what we need to do. And and something I know we don't have a lot of time, but that we did talk about also, uh, you know, off off air was different ways you can be in a relationship. You know, it doesn't have to be that you get married and you live together. I mean, clearly, you know, it's not you're not going to get married, have kids. I mean, that's probably not going to be happening, but you know, somebody might have grown kids or two people might have grown kids. How do you navigate that? Do you want to get married? Do you want to live together? Do you want to see each other every day? Like, you know, there's so many different ways to create the kind of relationship that's going to work for you, which may be different than it has been all that all throughout your life or maybe what you think you're supposed to do. Well, yes, and and, uh, I think if if uh, couples can decide that they want to make the most of their empty nest, the most, then they will have, now we're going beyond dating, but uh, the reason that I still have really hot sex with my husband 12 years after meeting him or is it 14? It's tw- it's 12. Yeah, it's 12 years. <laughs> is still that, respectable. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Uh, is because 
Well, first of all, we, you know, different ways of being together. It's really true. And you don't have to be married, but we have the LAT, living apart together. So he lives uh, 15 minutes away. I see him on weekends. I go to his house and I get a massage and hot tubbing and lots of great sex. And sometimes he calls me dopamine Diana because dopamine <laughs> is the hormone of arousal and it takes right. some novelty. So you come up with some new things. And and uh, and that's important. And um, and then you have some spaces in your togetherness uh, and that can be important, even if you're living under the same roof. I mean, you and Harry are going to have built in to your new home, as I understand it, some spaces in your togetherness. Can you talk? about? Yes. That? Yeah. So we, we know that. Um... You know, we love being together and we really do. It's like we just really enjoy each other's company. We're friends. We have fun. And I and I do want to live with him. I want to be with him, you know, all the time. Well, except for when I don't. So (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) that said, um, I also know that there are times that I am going to want my own space. I might want to sleep alone every now and again or or go Mm -hmm. hang out in my room. And so and same thing with him. So we're we're fortunate not everybody you know i i know can have a big house or or house with many rooms but there's still however you do it a way that you can create space for yourself whether that's going out with friends or you know going away for a weekend by yourself or in your home finding spaces that could be yours and so that's what you know harry and i have have created our own our own we have our own rooms we have our room together that we're going to sleep in most most of the time but we also have our own rooms that we can go hang out there or even sleep there or whenever we just feel we need some some time alone as well as you know as well as our own our own again friends and interests to do separately from one another to keep it interesting to be interesting because if we do everything together you know, it's not a horrible thing. And I think a lot of couples do that and they're really happy doing that. But for me, no, I I need to have an opportunity to miss someone or to be able to experience other things without them and share those things um, when we get back together, like you and Brian do, except you do it in a different way, but it's still the Mm -hmm. same idea. And I do think if you're talking about keeping sex hot or keeping a relationship that is evolving and thriving, having that that space and that alone time, I think it's important, but at least it is for me. And I think well, for you. And I think it is for a lot of people. This, what happens when people have been married a long time is um, they, they start taking each other for granted. And, and if, if they're, you know, sex, good, hot sex begets more hot sex. And, um, and cause you get all those good, feeling hormones, sexy hormones going, including the dopamine uh, and the oxytocin and the endorphins and all of that. Um, so you you want to have those those good good feelings um, and it makes a difference to do that and to have, but you can't take each other for granted. That's the thing. And even when I was describing what happened to my uh, late husband, uh, we never took each other for granted, and I'm so glad we didn't because he died way prematurely. But it is true when yeah. you've lost someone, there is that fear. I, you know, and and Brian and I had a discussion about it um, actually this last weekend, and um, you know, I said, you know, one of us is going to die before the other, and that's just the reality. Well, unless we got into an accident together and, you know. We don't want to put that energy out there. No, no. <laughs> we certainly don't. But don't. When, you, when you love somebody and you are able to maintain a really, just such great emotional intimacy and physical intimacy that's also hot and <clears throat> fun, that's a lot to lose. That's a lot to lose. But... You know that uh, I think it was Keats or one of the English literature guys said <clears throat> it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And right. there's I do believe that. that. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. And you know, even you know Charlie, your your late husband, and and mm-hmm. Alan. Um, mm-hmm. While it was incredibly painful and difficult, I wouldn't change it. I 
just like you, we lived, you know, we lived fully and lovingly. And I think that's part of being older. You know, I certainly didn't do that when I was younger. But, you know, once you're in your 50s and above, you do tend to not take someone for granted in the same way, I think, was when you're younger. And so, you know, making sure that you don't have regrets, like what, you know, and I, I think there's that saying, it's like, live, what is it? Live as if you, um, as if this is your last day um, yes. alive, but it's also as if it's your first. Uh, it's the same yeah, no, but it's the same thing in a relationship, right? Yeah, and yeah, and yeah it's same so thing good. in a relationship. Well, Lori, yes. once again, you're just I I love you, Lori, and you are I love you back. An amazing guest, and I'll see you in about 18 days in Napa. And we'll oh, I can't before. wait. We have lots of celebrating to do. I love you. And thank you yeah. again for allowing me to speak with you and be on your show. And I appreciate the listeners as well. And we will talk yes. soon. We will. Thank you, everybody. For Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.